I remember that as a kid, I was scared of the dark. To be truthful, I probably still am. And I was so scared of the dark that I would really literally, in my mind at least, see that people were going to break in and steal me or harm me in some way. And I remember one time thinking that the dinosaurs were coming to get me. And I remember my mom sitting down with me with the Bible, and she said, why don't you take this to bed with you? That same black, genuine leather Bible with the bent-up pages and the highlights in it, she said, take this, take this, put it under your pillow, and then when you're afraid, take the Bible and hold it up and say, you're not welcome here. So I remember... I remember being scared in the dark, seeing things, being afraid. Maybe the dinosaurs were coming. Maybe someone was after me. And taking my old King James black, genuine leather Bible, taking it from underneath of my pillow and holding it up and saying, you're not welcome here. Just about every moment from then on was a moment where I take this book with whatever cover it has on it and love it and value it. I want to live by it. And, and yet there comes with it all sorts of questions about this book. We, we call it the Bible. Some of us call it the good book. Some of us call it Scripture. Some of us call it the text. Whatever it is that we call it, we know that it is God's Word to us. There's some questions that we have about this Bible, this this piece of text, this Scripture, God's Word. I mean, what is it about this that that gives it its power? What is it about this book that we would come every single week and sit in a place like this all over the country and and all over the world that we would uh, come and listen uh, to someone talk about this Word? What is it that, that brings us to trust this Word? What is it that brings uh, reliability to to what is in this Bible. Uh, This morning, we're going to begin a series. We're calling it Assets. You know what assets are, those things that we have. uh, Maybe we possess them, and they're valuable to us. And some of these assets are non-negotiables, right? I mean, they they are, are things that we possess, that we have, Uh, They could be small things. They might be large things. Coming up on my 19th wedding anniversary, and I look down, and on my ring finger, there is a ring that my bride so lovingly put on my hand on our wedding day. And I think, this this is valuable to me. This, This represents something about who I am with her, about the life that we have together. It's valuable. And sometimes as a church, we just need to 
to take stock of what we value, of what our values are, of what, what are those columns, so to speak, that, that hold up who we are and what we're about as a church. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk uh, quite simply about the Bible, God's Word, Scripture, the text. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, what is it about this that, that brings power? What is it about this Word uh, that we come uh, trusting in it? What is it about this Word that, that we can live by? What makes it different than any other book, uh, a religious book in the world with all the other religions? What is it that, that we can rely on with this book? And so this morning, we're just going to come and we're going to look and, and we're going to try and say it. What is it about this that's reliable? And I hope, I hope what you'll see is that this book, this Bible, this Word, is not a word from man about God. But this is God's Word from God for man. One of the authors of Scripture, his name is Paul, writes this quick summary to one of his protégés, one of his disciples, in regards to this book, this, this book that we read, that we try and live by. He writes to his protégé, his name is Timothy, and he talks to us about his word. Join me in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now we are talking about God's word, so I'm going to invite you to open up God's word. Uh, if you don't have one of these Bibles, then go ahead, reach in the pew in front of you, open it up to page 833, and that should be right around 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He gives us this wonderful summary statement in regards to this Word that we come to live by, that we come to worship God because of, that we recognize God revealing Himself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of Scripture, all of it, uh, from the beginning to end, is God-breathed. This is God's Word for us. God's Word. Not from us, but for us. Uh, so that we, all of us, might be equipped for what it is that God has in store for us. God's Word. Uh, so what is it, what are the, the breadcrumbs of evidence that we might be able to walk tall out of here this morning uh, knowing the reliability of Scripture? Well, one of the breadcrumbs of evidence that gives reliability to Scripture is, is quite frankly, it's, it's tremendous unity. 
the Bible, God's Word, has tremendous unity from beginning to end. It has a tremendous cohesion. It has this interconnectedness to it. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, there is, there is consistency from one end of the Bible to the other. Now, now that may sound really good, and it is. Sixty-six books. Go ahead and count. There's an index in the very beginning of your Bible. You can go ahead and count. There's 66 books there. And from beginning to end, there's a remarkable consistency in regards to what you're going to find. It has tremendous cohesion. It has tremendous unity. Now, let's add to that a little bit. If we were to go through every single book and do a a little survey this morning of every single book, uh, of every book of the Bible, all 66 books, we would find uh, that there are around 40 different authors. 40. That's a lot. And yet, remarkably, they have a consistent message in the Old Testament That's the first half of your Bible. Actually, more than the first half of your Bible. We have this constant look ahead that there is one who is going to come. In the New Testament, this second half of your Bible, we recognize that someone, Jesus Christ, has come and He has brought with Him a great good news, a message of salvation for us. And yet there is 40 authors, and not just 40 authors, they span nearly 1,600 years of time between Genesis to Revelation. Even if you wanted to shrink that time, the very earliest, you might say, uh, the earliest documents of the Bible might be written is around 1400 B.C., with the last book of the Bible being written around 90 A.D., after the death of Christ. So you have roughly still 1,500 years. 40 different authors communicating a consistent message about God to people. That's pretty amazing. But that's not all. In fact, not only was there 40 different authors coming up with a consistent message, over 66 books of the Bible from very beginning to very end, but they spoke different languages. They lived in different parts of the country and the world. They had to be engaged in different life situations. Some were writing in prison. Some were riding on the plains as shepherds. Some were riding as kings. Some were riding as warriors. And some of you are thinking, well, that's a lot. And yet there's more. If you get into uh, the books of the Bible, you'll recognize that, that not all of the writing of the Bible looks the same. Not all of it reads the same. You see, there are all sorts of different writing styles, 
different types, different forms throughout the Bible from very beginning to very end. We have poetry. If you open up to the book of Psalms or Proverbs, uh, maybe uh, you have done that uh, study where you open up a proverb every single day and you, you begin to read it. It's, it's poetry. It's meant to move us emotionally. And yet we might open to a book like Romans or Galatians or Ephesians or Colossians. And we'll look at a letter from Paul and it's, and it's very... It's very ordered. It's very structured. We'll see one thing and then another thing and then another thing. It's a, it's a letter. And Paul is just uh, trying to encourage uh, one, per, one Christian to another Christian how they should go about living. And you'll notice there's law. And you'll notice that there's gospel and there's parables. And yet, with all of this, with all of the variables, with all of the authors speaking all of the different languages and all the different situations, somehow they all come together in a message that's consistent from one end to another. Now, how did they do that? How did all of these guys, in all of these different situations, in all of these different languages, how is it that they managed to write a consistent message from beginning to end of what we're calling the Bible. Well, they were inspired. In 2 Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, the very last verse, verse 21, it says, Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We call that inspiration. Uh, you see, these, these authors were not speaking on their own. Uh, they were not in it for themselves. They weren't in it so that uh, they could get rich or powerful. Uh, these authors were writing because they were hearing something from the Creator of the universe. Uh, they were hearing a word from God for man, and God was giving them a message, and they were taking that message in their personality, in their particular language, and they were communicating God's message to people in their time. It's incredible. Paul, I mentioned him earlier. He's an author of Scripture inspired by God. Uh, to write to churches that were in need of God's Word to them. Now, what we mean when we talk about inspiration is not that somehow Paul was caught in some kind of a trance where God took hold of his hand and began moving his pencil. That's not what we're talking about. It's not as if Paul, later on, uh, when he wrote these letters and the churches came back to him, it's not as if Paul looked at them and said, uh, when, when the church said to Paul, well, well what, what does this mean? What is this? Paul didn't go, I don't know, it's Greek to me. That's a little professor joke because the New Testament was written in Greek, you see. Thanks, Lair. 
So the Bible, one of the breadcrumb evidences that we can trust the Bible, that it's reliable to us, is just simply, it's, it's radical unity. It has this wonderful, wonderful uh, existence over, over time and space and authors all coming together uh, because God is the one breathing it. Why is it that you can come here day after day, week after week, Month after month, year after year, opening up the Bible. Why is it that we can do that? Because it has tremendous accuracy. And, and let me tell you, no other religion in all of the world has what we have when we talk about the accuracy and unity of Scripture. It's con- consistent. Let me take two examples. Islam. Their holy book is the Quran. It was written by one person uh, who, quite frankly, at least in my estimation, had some moral issue and oftentimes would take things from the Bible and reinterpret them uh, so that he could put them in his own holy book. There was no accountability. There wasn't multiple authors. When you look at the Book of Mormon, it's the same sort of thing, written primarily by one author. And oftentimes those leaders who wrote these holy books, who supposedly heard from God, they were ones who desired power and control for themselves. We open a book every single week that has tremendous unity from beginning to end. It was written by 40 different authors over a period of around 15 to 1600 years and is remarkably consistent from beginning to end. We have breadcrumb of evidence to say, I can live by this word because God is orchestrating something special in and through it for me. Now that's not it. I've given a hint to the idea that God's message is consistent, but let's, let's look a little bit further into the message of the Bible. You see, one of the things that makes God's Word reliable to us, yes, is, is its tremendous unity, but another evidence is its, its tremendous and powerful message. You see, God's Word answers the big questions that we have about life, like, why do I exist, and where did I come from, and what's my purpose, and, and who should I marry, and should I marry at all, and, and, and what should I do with my money, and how should I approach my money, and how should I go about work? Does anybody work in here? You see, there's all sorts of things that, that are written out in Scripture, and when we begin to tear through the pages and understand it and devour it and eat it up, God's Word begins to address the largest questions we have about life. Now, I, I suppose that there are other, other religious books out there that may uh, claim that they have answers. But let me suggest this. What separates this great Bible, God's Word, from any other holy book, any other religious book out there, is God's grace. You see, every other religious group that would have claims about answers for life would have a Creator that that needs to be appeased. 
that we need to grovel in front of, that we need to fear and be afraid of. And yet somehow this consistent message of Scripture is that the Creator of the universe served us. That He came from heaven to earth to pay for something that we could not pay for ourselves. You see, the, uh, the very beginning of the Bible, it begins with the problem of sin, doesn't it? Like we have this problem and it's called sin and it separates us from God. And God said uh, that it is going to be death to us if we don't deal with it. Uh, the only problem with that is that we can't deal with it on our own. And so God, God came down from heaven to earth and the Creator reached into our existence and He took care of the problem that He knew we couldn't. You see, every other religion in the world, every other holy book would say that the answer is that you just have to work harder. You just need to do more. But that's not grace. In God's amazing grace, He took care of the sin problem. The, the, the theological, the big $10 term for that is He atoned for all of our sin by sending His Son to die on a cross. And then He raised again on the third day. And He vindicated all that He said was true. That's the message of the Bible. It separates everything else. Now, I was talking with some friends this week. I emailed them, some of my colleagues, and I said, hey, hey, what... What separates the message of the Bible? And I want to read for you one of the responses I got. It was so good. One of my colleagues, his name is Andrew, he said this in an email to me about that question. He says, The Bible provides an answer to the problem of sin that is accomplished by God Himself without human work. And therefore, it can solve the problem. Islam, Mormonism, all other religions teach variations of works-based salvation. What grace they teach is the whim of God. And if He gives grace, He's violating His own perfect nature by tolerating sin after He said it was worthy of death. By contrast, in the Bible, this, this word that we're talking about this morning, God takes sin upon Himself. He punishes it fully, but separately from us. He can give us grace because the sin has been atoned for by Himself. So Christianity is the only religion that has a possibility of success because it is fully accomplished by the perfect God. All other religions must fail because they propose that imperfect humans find a way to please the perfect God after we have broken His laws and are worthy of death. You see, we have a tremendous Bible and not only is it perfectly unified in its message, but the message itself is powerful and perfect. This is God's Word to us. And so we can walk confidently with evidence in our pocket uh, that this indeed is God's Word uh, to us and for us, not man's Word about God. Now what else is there? Well, there is more. Are you ready? Are you asleep? Okay, I'm going to assume you're ready. You're on the edge of your seat. You want to know more. 
Another breadcrumb evidence that gives us a clue to the reliability of, of Scripture is its tremendous, tremendous accuracy. Uh, if we were to open up uh, the books of the prophets and begin to look uh, at where the prophets uh, look forward to a Messiah, uh, look forward to a Savior, a Deliverer, uh, we would recognize uh, that at least, at least there are 50 times uh, where the prophets begin to hint toward uh, a Messiah who is coming uh, that Jesus perfectly fulfills. It's this wonderfully accurate picture it continues over and over and over again. Now, now, it's not just that. But even those who are secular or non-Christian historians uh, look at the Bible and, and can't definitively disprove anything that the Bible said happened. Uh, they're not looking, uh, they're looking to disprove, but can't. And so we can look at the Bible and say, yeah, you know what? When Moses took the people across the Red Sea and it says they walked across on dry land, we can look at that and go, I have good reason to believe that that actually did happen, that it was real. Uh, that when Jesus was there at the wedding of Cana and he said, hey, uh, go to those, go to those uh, uh, the ceremonial uh, washing jars, fill them with water, and, and, and he makes some wine, we can believe that Jesus actually performed those miracles. Uh, that when Jesus saw people who were lying on a mat, uh, and they had been lying on a mat for a long, long time, and he heals them, and it, it happens immediately that it actually happened. The Bible's tremendously accurate. Now, what about the text itself? Some of you uh, probably are, have heard or uh, maybe paid witness to some of those who, who have said, no, nah, no, nah, the Bible's unreliable. Uh, the Bible's inconsistent. Yet the Bible's not inconsistent. Uh, let me ask you this. Does anybody have one of those uh, famous family recipes? Anybody? You have like the family recipe. Everybody points, all right? Points. Okay, you have the family recipe. Maybe you're thinking of it right now. Maybe when you go home, you're thinking, man, maybe we can make that. Now, what happens with the family recipe? We pass it on, don't we? At least I hope we pass it on. My lovely bride, JoLynn, she has a family recipe that I absolutely love. There are little things. They're, they're called sauerkraut strudels. Mm. Don't worry, the sermon's almost over. Lunch is coming. <laughs> there are these sauerkraut strudels, and you put, you put this sauerkraut in them, and you put some uh, deer sausage in there, and you put some bacon in there, and you wrap it up, and you put it in the oven. And, and you know it's a really good sauerkraut strudel when it comes out of the oven and you grab it and you blow on one end and smoke rolls out the other end. It's one of those recipes that, that we just have to pass on from, from one end, uh, one generation to another generation. And so we, we copy the recipe. Now it's really important to get all the ingredients right because you know about the famous recipes that if you don't get all of the ingredients in there... What happens? It messes up the recipe. 
And we've all done it probably, and we look through, and we, I don't know why it didn't work. And then you call and you say, well, what, what, what did you put in there? Well, I put this, well, you forgot the baking soda. Now, why do I talk about family recipes? If you think about the Bible as a family recipe that needed to be copied over and over and over again, uh, you would know that, uh, that it's really important that we get all the words right. Wouldn't you agree with that? You see, God gave the Word to people, and people wrote it down. God is always acting inside of culture, and so they were acting within the languages that they had. God was giving them a message. They were translating that message and writing it down. But they didn't just keep it to themselves. They shared it. And there were, there were scholars and, and scribes throughout the centuries who, just like your family recipe from one generation to the next, uh, they would copy out these manuscripts and they would copy them very carefully because they didn't want to mess up the family recipe, if you gather what I'm saying. And they would do this over and over and over again, copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. And now, right now, uh, right now in history, we have more than 5,000 uh, pieces of manuscript from the Bible. Now, why is that important? Because the Bible... Maybe more than any other ancient document, more than any other piece of writing ever, it is scrupulously criticized. And here's what we find in copy after copy after copy after copy after copy after copy, more than 5,000 times over, is that they are remarkably accurate. But they're remarkably the same. As they look at one copy after another copy after another copy after another copy, you know what we find? They're the same. Now, I know that there are those who are going to say, ah, what about this or what about that? You know, the times that the copyists made errors, because sometimes they do. You know when they made errors? They made spelling errors. Have you ever walked by or drove, drove by on the highway one of those Chick-fil-A signs? Anybody? Nobody's walked or seen one of the Chick-fil-A signs. Okay, Tom knows what I'm talking about, so I'm going to speak to Tom. Drive by one of the Chick-fil-A signs sometime. Are they spelled correctly? No. No, they're not. They're not spelled correctly at all. But can you read it? Do you get the message? Absolutely. Sometimes when they were writing, uh, maybe they, they misspelled a word, but the message is still there. Other times, perhaps they, they got a number wrong. Or they left out a small word. Of the more than 40,000 words present in the Bible, do you know how many are in dispute? 400. That gives us about a 99% accuracy rate for all things in Scripture 
And we can walk confidently with our Bibles in hand in the translations in which they have been translated to us, knowing that this is God's Word to us. Of all those 400 words, none of them change major doctrine. None of them change who God is and what He came to do. None of them change uh, that wonderfully consistent message that, that there was a problem of sin and God began to deal with it. None of them. So with all this evidence in our pocket, with all these breadcrumbs that we picked up along the way, what is it that I'm asking you to do with this Bible? What is it that I want you to see? Well, I want you to believe. I want you to believe that it's true. I want you to to live by it. I want you to open up and devour it. I want you to see that that this has the power uh, to literally change your life. In Hebrews chapter 4, the author of Hebrews says this incredible thing about God's Word, about this Bible that we've come to celebrate and value. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What is he saying? He's saying, look, We don't just read the Bible. We don't just read Scripture. Scripture reads us. And it takes us apart. And if we're going to come and we're going to believe it, then our lives aren't going to be the same because it's going to take the things in your life and it's going to begin to confront them. So what is it that I want you to do? I, I want you to read it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to study it. I want you to devour it. I want you to get in groups together that will talk about the Word. I want you to ask questions. Now, how do we do that? Well, we have lots of things in our world to help us get into God's Word. Uh, There's a couple of them up here. Go ahead and show that slide. Our values... Notice, connecting with God and His Word is way up at the top. We want to do that. Next slide. There's a couple of apps. We, we live in a technological age. How is it that we get into the Bible? Well, one, uh, you can read the Bible. You can get into uh, the Bible through a, a variety of means. One is the YouVersion Bible app, YouVersion.com. Uh, if you go to uh, your, um, your Google Play or your, uh, what's the other one? The App Store. Thank you. If you go to the App Store and you type in YouVersion, it's a free app. Now, literally, I've used this. Uh, they have thousands and thousands of little programs that you can do uh, to get yourself into God's Word every single day. Every single day. You, you can even, if you decided, if you wanted to get into God's Word and say, you know what, I want to go from cover to cover. Or I want to go and I want to look at the New Testament and what it has to say. You can set up your own plan. 
The Bible Project, fairly new, but the Bible Project uh, went there last night. Uh, It's got a whole website uh, in a variety of ways. It's trying to engage you in the particulars of Scripture. And right now, they're actually running a campaign where they take you on 16 different stops of the message of the Bible uh, so that you begin to read all of the pieces of Scripture. Gang, it doesn't really matter how we get there, but what does matter is that we open up this book, that we begin to live it and study it and love it and cherish it, and maybe we even put it underneath our pillow at night. And when it gets dark outside, we can hold it up and say, ah, hey, you go away. Because it's reliable. Because it's powerful. Because we can trust it. Why? Because this is God's Word for man. Not man's word about God. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness to us. And I pray for all of us that we will enjoy your word. I pray, Father, that if we don't know how, I pray that we'll try. I pray that if we fail, uh, that we will recognize um, who you are and that um, you will appreciate our desire to come to know you through your word. Lord, I pray uh, for those of us who will get into this Word, uh, I pray that we will not get discouraged. Lord, help us not get discouraged. Give us strength to continue forward, even through the things that maybe we don't understand or seem confusing. Father, get us into Your Word. We love You. Thank You so much for Your goodness to us, shown to us in a message of Your Word. And we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I know that there are some of you out there that are like aching to get back in the Word maybe or needing to get into the Word for the first time. If that is you, I want to talk to you. Josh wants to talk to you. Dave or Dan or Charlie uh, or any of the leaders or maybe some of your friends, your members want to help you do that. So let me encourage you to get into the Word. Let me help you do that. Let your desire be that God would lead you to Himself through His Word. And that you would walk from here going, hey, I'm going to trust in this. There's some power here that I don't recognize yet, and I'm going to get there. And I'm going to commit to reading. I'm going to challenge you with that. If you've never done anything like this before, you're not alone. We all had to start somewhere. If you want to do that, you want to do that publicly, you can come down. We we can talk together. We can talk afterwards. We'd love to have that conversation. Let's stand as we sing this morning.